Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Green Dot, EAA's podcast for anyone and everyone who loves aviation. My name is Hal Bryan and I'm one of your hosts. I'm EAA's uh, Senior Editor for Print and Digital Content and Publications. Uh, Once again, another quarantine edition coming to you from a series of undisclosed remote locations. So somewhere uh, out there in the ether, normally on my left... I'm Chris Hedry. I am the EAA Aviation Museum Programs Coordinator. And then across an imaginary table that I can only see when I close my eyes. Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director. Cool. Well, you know, guys, uh, I, I think it'll probably be fairly fairly soon here in the near future. We'll sort of be back in the studio. A lot of us, though, are still working working remotely, and they're kind of phasing us back into the building. Um, and that's generally that's generally easier for us to do, you know, the remote guests and stuff. But I got to say, these have been a lot of fun. Um, just uh you know kind of getting the original band together to just chat amongst ourselves and we we've got a ton of really cool guests coming up and some really exciting stuff but i i've had a blast just uh just the three of us just swapping some stories and yeah same here it's getting you know it's, it's kind of like what we do when we actually are in person just kind of hanging out uh uh talking about favorite you know uh books and trips we've taken and and now uh you know the the subject we're going to talk about today it, it's a lot of fun i i really and enjoy these. It's kind of been a bright spot in this whole thing of something to look forward to. Exactly. It's uh, it's creating the illusion of human contact <laughs> for me. It so that's, uh, there's something to be said for that. So uh, we decided we've we've been talking. Uh, you know, we did some, another movies episode a while ago, and there's always another one of those on the horizon. Had some fun talking about uh, some of our favorite aviation books, and uh, now we're going to talk museums. So. Uh, you know, the, you know, the three of us have, uh, well, we've all traveled uh, a fair amount in our lives, and we've all managed to find uh, find our way to interesting aviation museums around the world. But, of course, we got to start with a little bit of love uh, right here at home. So, uh, Chris, why don't you tell us what's, uh, what's new and what's up uh, at our very own EAA Aviation Museum here in Oshkosh? Absolutely. I'm, uh, I, of course, we'd be remiss to not talk about our own museum here in Oshkosh. Uh, if you've never been, um, something that I always tell people is the museum during AirVenture and not during AirVenture are two completely different facilities. If you want to come and actually just kind of hang out and enjoy the museum and Pioneer Airport, um, it, it's actually better to come not during AirVenture to actually uh, kind of get a chance to to read and visit. It's a little bit more uh, quiet than it is, of course, during that week in July. Uh, the biggest thing we have coming up in new exhibits is our, our Huey exhibit. Uh, we actually have a combat veteran, uh, multi-tour combat vet, UH-1B uh, Huey helicopter coming. Um, really excited about that. And it's not going to be just, you know, an exhibit of a helicopter sitting there. I mean, we are actually are building a multi-media uh, uh, exhibit that it's going to be around. Uh, it's going to involve some immersive items, uh, items to, uh, of course, do research, and then personal items of people who flew uh, on Hueys in Vietnam. And then uh, what's really special is we actually located uh, the pilot of our aircraft who flew it uh, uh, in, in country, and he has donated um, original artifacts, uh, photos, uh, his original photo album. I mean, so we have just amazing, amazing things. Like, you know, one of the th- I'll, I'll touch on this briefly, but one of the things that uh, we found in the logs was that this aircraft was shot down once. Uh, they made a forced landing. Um, the aircraft was recovered under a Chinook, 
uh, they flew it back to uh, Sock Train under a Chinook uh, where they repaired it and then it went back into combat again and he's like oh yeah uh, I have pictures of that and he actually in his photo album has pictures of our aircraft under a Chinook coming back uh, to the base sort of uh, hung underneath it so isn't that incredible um, yeah stuff like being able to connect those dots has been really special so that's uh, a big one you know unfortunately we also opened the wasp exhibit right before this all happened with this virus so um you know that's basically a brand new exhibit uh that people have barely been able to see so we have a, a great new exhibit about the wasp uh they're the women who flew during world war ii um so please come out and uh and check that out uh, i think you'll be really blown away by uh uh the exhibit that's uh you know been you know it's really been a cool spark plug to have in our museum to call out these women call out maybe some aspects that we didn't know um i mean hal and ty you guys have, have worked on both exhibits i mean making sure that uh you know the content is correct and, and and worded correctly and everything so um yeah we're really proud of it and we hope uh people enjoy these uh these two newest exhibits when uh, when we're allowed to go back at it full steam you know that is something i want to reinforce uh you mentioned that that the uh you know we not to, to pat ourselves on the back, but our producer, Ty, and I on our content and editorial uh, publications team um, were involved in both of these, uh, pardon me, both of these exhibits. But uh, it really was, uh, um, I think the last few exhibits that have come along have been a much, much broader team effort. I, I just feel like uh, across the organization, we've had, we've had people from marketing, we've had people from editorial, uh, and of course, your input, Chris, uh, uh, Ben, uh, you call sign Sawdust uh, there in the museum, the curator, <laughs> offering a lot of input, doing a lot, creating a lot of great stuff. And it's been, I think it's been really fun to have more of the, the organization engaged, all of us working together more to produce these things that we're all really, really proud of and excited to see. Um, now, as we're recording this, uh, and uh, this episode is slated to uh, be released on uh, June 4th. So, um, certainly by the time you listen, it, it may well be there, you know, we'll certainly be closer to opening, but Chris, I don't think at this point we know a target date, uh, as of right now. I have not heard a target, uh, I've not heard a target date. I know they're working on something, um, but, uh, I've not been informed of an actual hard date yet, but, uh, um, but when we do, uh, you'll see a lot of happy people because we're, uh, uh, I love I love my house. I love being home, but man, I am ready to get back at it and uh, uh, interact with people and be around airplanes and, and such. So um, I'm ready to to have at it. But the best way to keep an eye out for when we do open the museum again, uh, I would say, would be the website as well as, of course, the Facebook pages, uh, for, uh, the EA you know Spirit of Aviation page, as well as the uh, EA Aviation Museum Facebook pages. Um, well, I, I'm sure we will have between me and Sam, we will have everything we can get out there to let people know to come out and see us. Right. Oh, we're sure looking forward to that. You know, I've got to say, uh, I've got to say quickly, one of my lifelong, uh, just childhood best friends, kind of an alternate brother of mine, uh, is executive director of an, of the uh, uh, Lewis Army Museum out in Washington at Fort Lewis, there next to part of the whole Joint Base Lewis McCord complex. Um, and uh, not particularly an aviation museum, although he, uh, since we were both, uh, you know, really, we got each other sort of big into helicopters in particular when we were little kids. Now he loves calling me once in a while and saying, you know, oh, I have a Huey, by the way. It's just, it's in the <laughs> courtyard outside my office. And uh, yeah, well, guess what, Eric? Guess what? Okay. <laughs> so do we now. We, or we in, do too. <laughs> you know, any day now, we will too. Yeah. So, uh, so yep. take that, yep. Mr. Eric Flint. 
who's not listening, I'm sure. Well, you know, I, I have to say, you know, having worked at EAA now for eight years, um, it's one of the one of the things that I, I hope we never take for granted is just how blessed we are to work to to be in a workplace every day under normal conditions, uh, yes. where you know, if you need to just take, you know, you know, the the the, the three o'clock afternoon, um, you know, low is hitting you, and you need to get up and stretch your legs. You, go out and walk around the air museum, you know, that's attached to your office. Uh, that is a, an absolutely extraordinary blessing. I call that, by the way, just taking the long way back from the men's room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, instead of running right back to my desk, I've got to just take a quick saunter through the museum and just sometimes, sometimes just walk through and just try to soak it all up. Sometimes maybe just pick an airplane and go spend five minutes just, uh, you know, paying more attention to one that I, that I, uh, that I haven't sat with and, and studied forever and and it is uh it is a, a ridiculous joy and I, I think it's an amazing benefit of working there that uh, is um as you said hopefully something we never ever take for granted and one thing you know a perspective i i i have on this you know just having done a, a bunch of tours with faa staff so every every couple of months we have um, a training course that comes through for FAA personnel for accident investigation. So I'll um, either myself or Chris will, will usually do the tour with them. And um, it's just such a powerful uh, illustration of what EAA is. And that's something that, um, that that's unique about our museum is, is kind of the diversity of the different aircraft that we showcase. We're not a military museum. Um, we're not a strictly civilian museum either. Uh, you know, if you, if you think of EAA, of it's kind of four main focuses, right? Uh, home building and ultralights, vintage aircraft, uh, IAC, so aerobatics and air racing, and warbirds. Um, we have distinct sections for all of those around our museum. So you can very easily tell the story of EAA as you walk through the museum. Uh, and it's a, um, it's, it's really, really um, unique, I think. Um, you know, there aren't that many museums, for example, that have just that much in the way of home building. Um, or really any type of civilian aircraft. You know, you go to the Air and Space Museum, you'll have some stuff about, you know, early pioneering um, aircraft that, you know, explored different things or, or set various records or stuff like that, but never just like a plain old RV-4, you know, right there. Um, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Well, Tom, since you uh, you broke the ice a little bit and sort of mentioned other museums, I think we should, we should put out there sort of right away. I think... Personally, and you guys agree or disagree, I'm kind of approaching this in, in my head, like kind of the work we did with books and things like that, is that there, and movies in particular, there's, you know, there's ones you just, you just take as read, not for granted, but you just say, of course. And I would put, uh, you know, uh, obviously the Smithsonian, the National Air and Space Museum and the Udvar-Hazy Complex, that's in, a, that's in the of course category. If you haven't been, you just have to go, and you have to go more than once. Uh, same with the National Museum of the U U.S. Air Force in Dayton, and uh, and I also personally put the Museum of Flight out in Seattle in that category. Would you guys ag agree that those are those are those just must dos? Yeah, although I'll agree, I'll, I'll I'll agree with you on the Air Force Museum, except to say that if you haven't spent at least an entire month in Dayton, just dedicated to the Air Force <laughs> Museum, I don't think you've even seen half of it. Right. And then Dayton has so many other attractions around there, so many of the right historic sites, you know, just going out, uh, uh, out to Hawthorne Hill and uh, Huffman Prairie and, and places like that, too, that, that it really augments it. And they've done a really good job of sort of tying all of those the museums and historic sites and everything else together. 
uh, <clears throat> pardon me, like the uh, the Waco Museum is out there, Grimes Field, all that kind of stuff. And there's a whole sort of national aviation heritage area down there. And they're doing a nice job of saying, well, if you come to see this, make sure you don't miss that. Uh, and and as you said, you spend a month in the Air Force Museum and then really start exploring the area. And it's uh, it's you know for people like us, it's some hallowed ground. I uh, I can tell you this: I was a volunteer docent there for four years. And I still have not seen everything. Uh, and I would literally, like, I mean, I was a docent. That's all you did was you walked around, said hi to people, made sure nobody was getting in trouble. And you were free to kind of, like, walk around the museum and read whatever you wanted. And um, I still have not seen everything in that museum. So uh, one day. <laughs> then, you know, of course, then they built a new building. So now it's, uh, uh, that whole new building is, that's a museum in itself. So, uh, it's a cool place. Well, they've been up, uh, updating on social media lately, Chris. Um, they're they're really um, shifting some stuff around the Cold War Gallery. It looks like um, while they have the chance. Yeah, yeah. Last month they reshuffled the uh, like Southeast Asia, some of the Southeast Asia, Korea, just a little bit. And then this year, this this month they've been really hitting Cold War. So yeah, I noticed like the F one seventeen was outside briefly and. So yeah, we actually see yeah. what they're doing. You know, speaking of uh, the the Air Force Museum and the uh, the Southeast Asia Cold War, you know, they've got that camouflage F one hundred there, and um, for whatever reason, just in you know the the trivia and lore around my life, the very first picture I ever took in my entire life was of that airplane, and it would have been about wow. nineteen seventy two or early nineteen seventy three, when most of the collection, including the XB seventy and stuff, uh, was all outside. But there was oh, wow. that uh, camo F-100 there, and, you know, and this is, of course, in the days of film, and, you know, you have 12 pictures to take, choose carefully, <laughs> and it's going to cost, you know, in $20, it's going to cost, you know, $50 a picture to get them developed down at the photo mat or whatever. But I remember my, oh, you know. You had to wait, you had to send it away, and it waited. Yeah, exactly, and you wait a while, so you, while. you don't even know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but it was, a, it was a, a, a big deal. Mom gave me the camera and, you know, helped me point it, made sure the finger was out of the way. And so this is the button to push when you've got it lined up just right. And I don't think that original print survives, unfortunately. But I'll, you know, anytime I'm in that museum, I, I, I take a special trip and look at that airplane. And then I take 50 pictures of it on my phone because, haha, I can. You know. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so what about... Uh, what about the ones that are a little bit more off the beaten path? Do you guys have some that uh, um, maybe are, are lesser known? Um, what do you think? Tom, do you uh, do you have one that you want to start off with, or you want me to start? Sure, I can start. Um, so it's maybe not so much lesser known except outside the area, but you know, my hometown air museum or home state air museum growing up was the New England Air Museum at the Bradley Airport in uh, just north of Hartford, Connecticut. And uh, over the last couple of years, they've done a fantastic job uh, with their collection and their buildings. Um, you know, they did an awesome job restoring the B-29, which when I first saw it, when I was a kid, it had the outer wing panels off of it. And on open cockpit days, it just allowed, this must have been, this must have been before the, uh, the, the liability attorneys really got a hold of them because they just let us climb all over the airplanes, you know, pretty much unsupervised on the open cockpit days. Um, but the... Um, <laughs> But, but yeah, the, the um, they've done an amazing job restoring the 29. Uh, they've got a rare air racing P-51 now. Um, they've got uh, a, a, um, a blimp gondola uh, from the U.S. Navy that's, I think, really fascinating. And the quality of restoration there is really, really great. So 
Um, oh, you know, certainly, if you ever visit um, anywhere in the northeastern U.S., you know, you're in New York or or Boston or something like that. It's not it's not too far to get to the New England Air Museum, and I'd say it's definitely worth a day. That's very cool. That's that's one that's uh, on my list, but I've never made it there. And I, you don't hear about many. Uh, there's not many relics, not many artifacts left from the the Navy airship days. Uh, so that's really cool to see. Yeah, I uh, you know one that if for some reason it's not quite as, um, it, it's not not well known, but it's not as well known as someplace like uh, Dayton or. Uh, you know the Air and Space Museum complex is it's the Pensacola Museum, the Na- uh, National Museum of Naval Aviation. Oh, sure. Um, it, it's it's a national museum, and I mean, if you're into airplanes, you know of it, but it, it's not quite as famous for some reason as the others. It hasn't been around as uh, around as long either. Um, but uh, anything that uh, the Navy and Marine Corps flew, there's an example down there. I mean, there's there's the big flying boats they actually have, uh, like a Mariner and stuff like that indoors. Um, one of the, the, the big things that, and I, I'm bringing it up because it's been around social media recently is they actually have an SBD Dauntless that actually flew combat during Midway. I believe it was based on the Enterprise, but I can't remember for sure, but it, it is a real Dauntless based, uh, or, or that flew combat during the battle of Midway and, uh, and it's completely restored down there. Um, just, uh, I mean, that that is amazing i mean a true piece of history that that airplane is worth the trip alone um but uh they just have a lot of cool stuff their cold war uh early navy jet section is just uh amazing uh they they buy a lot of blue paint they must just get blue paint and and 50 gallon drums somewhere but uh uh but beautiful restorations for sure you know and they were in uh and i don't think i don't know that any of us knows the status of it currently but they were in negotiations for quite a while with colson to the point where the airplane was painted since you mentioned paint uh to get one of the martin mars down to pensacola and then it it seemed that things fell through and i think it's kind of been in limbo ever since do you know anything more about that yeah, the uh, you know they painted the aircraft. Uh, there there has been uh, not much mention of it recently. I did hear somewhere that they were maybe talking again, but uh, again, there's another great example of a lot of blue paint being uh, bought in bulk. Right. So <laughs> exactly, um, you know this is uh, this is tough because we we laid out the beginning kind of the ground rules. It's like well, so okay, we don't have to go into detail about Smithsonian and some of these others because they're on the must see list. And then I realized, well, what about the SAC Museum in Nebraska? That to me is also oh, on that must list. Yeah, you know, go see a you know crawl in a B thirty six if you're if you're lucky and and uh, see like, what I think is is that the only Avro Vulcan in the U S. or is there one other on display somewhere? There's there's one other one down at Barksdale. Barksdale oh, right. has one. Barksdale, they've got yeah. a big. Uh, cool air park outside and stuff out there. That's that's right. I always forget about that. Um, going, uh, you know, maybe inching again a little bit, sort of more off the beaten uh, beaten path. I mentioned uh, Joint Base Lewis McCord out in Tacoma, Washington. Um, tons and tons of great aviation museums all around the Northwest. If you go there, you know, go to the Museum of Flight, then you know, spend some extra days because there's lots of other stuff sort of up and down the the western part of. Uh, Washington, then now over in Spokane on the eastern border, there's the uh, Historic Flight Foundation has opened a new museum at Feltz Field, which is one of those classic, uh, super vintage, EAA chapter-friendly kind of airports, so that's a must-see. But anyway, there at McCord Air Force Base, uh, there's an air museum there, and I I got to uh, go out there and visit quite a bit as a kid. My mom was actually on their board of directors way back when. 
And uh, it's unfortunately, you know, in the days of, uh, you know, sort of heightened security, it's a, a little bit of a challenge to get there. You just you have to do some planning ahead of time and get a pass and stuff and get on on base. But uh, they've got uh, they've got a B-18 uh, Bolo, a B-23 Dragon. Uh, they've got a C-124 that uh, my mom traded two P-38s for. And I got wow. to be there when the 124 flew in as a, as a teenager. And I thought that was pretty darn cool. I, I can't give mom all the credit, but I, she was she was heavily involved at the time and was um, I got pretty good at uh, airplane horse trading in that uh, that part of her life. But anyway, uh, so ever out in Washington, uh, do the aviation museums out there and then take the extra effort and get on base at McCord if you can and go to their uh, their museum and park. It's good, good stuff. You know, the uh, um, a, uh, another great one that I uh, managed to get to was Hill, Hill Air Force Base Museum oh, out in uh, Utah. Uh, in Utah. Yeah, that is a really cool place and massive. Um, and then it's really neat. Like, they had a, um, uh, a, I think it was part of a B-24D, uh, and then they only had parts of it. So they went and grabbed like a PB4Y naval variant that had been used as a fire bomber, and they like merged them together and made a B24D, and, and it's kind of like displayed as it's on an assembly line and things like that. There, there's some really cool stuff. I mean, they they recovered a P38 and things like that, and uh, um, it, it's another one of those hidden gems that uh, I had heard of it. I'd seen some pictures, and then we were out in the area and actually went there, and, and you easily need a whole day. I mean, it's a big place. Uh, that's very cool. That's another one that's been on my list, and I, I think I've even uh, uh, met some folks from there. I and is Chris over the the years, me mostly prior to my EAA career, we would go to the mutual concerns of Air and Space oh, Museums yeah. conferences, and I used to speak at that part part of my last job, and made all these great contacts and stuff. And you know, I I should have spent every every weekend of my life traveling to 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 visit some of these new friends of mine at every museum and I certainly did a fair amount of that but there's but uh, Hill was one that I that I haven't made it to yet but we're still young yeah, absolutely <laughs> Chris the one museum that I always keep driving past and I, I just never I, I never have the occasion to be able to stop usually because I'm in a hurry to get in one direction or another is the um, is is the Bond Museum up by Superior the Richard Baum Museum. Oh, that's a really cool one. Dude, yeah. You've been there. You've spoken there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've given a couple talks there. And, um, you know, the neat thing about that is that P-38, they have a P-38 painted up as one of Bong's uh, Marge airplanes. Um, is that museum... So the airplane was actually brought there as a memorial right after the war, right after he was killed. Um, and it's like, that thing was like never demilled or anything. Like they just... They flew it in and left it, basically. Um, and it used to sit outside along the road up there. And then, you know, obviously the years took its toll uh, on, you know, being outside. The Air National Guard unit up there restored it, and they were building this building. And Marge was still alive at that point. Um, as a matter of fact, she would come down to our museum during Air Venture, sit underneath the wing of our P-38 Marge, and sign autographs and take pictures. That's where I first met her. And um, and it was all a fundraising. They were fundraising to get money to build that that building up there. And what in true Richard Bong sort of fashion, if you will, um, she said they wanted to just make the entire museum about him. And she said that he wouldn't approve of that. He would not have liked the the attention 
uh, he, she said she would agree to have his name on there only if the museum honored all veterans. Uh, so that's what they did. It's an, it's a, it's the Richard I. Bong Veterans uh, Memorial Center, I believe. Um, but it's 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 dedicated to all veterans of all eras. So uh, really, really uh, neat museum, though. If you gotta if you get a chance, you gotta go up there and uh, uh, and say hi. And every once in a while, like the family members of Richard Bong will actually be there. It, it's really cool. If you're a fan of Richard Bong, you gotta go. Oh, very cool. You know, uh, another little one that's uh, that's easy to miss here in Wisconsin is the. Um, and I just, as soon as I saw the name of this place, I just fell in love with it because it's so earnest. It's the Deke Slayton Memorial Space and Bicycle Museum. Uh, it's out in Sparta. <laughs> I think, Chris, you've been there, I'm sure. Yeah, and, yeah, and I mean, a, it's a really cool place. It's, it's fantastic. And they've got uh, um, they, they've got a, a very credible sort of aviation section. They've got a Pete and Paul and then uh, one of Deke's uh, Formula One racers. And then you've got a, a Mercury spacesuit uh, of his, which is just... You know, you walk in and and everything else disappears for a minute, and you see that that beautiful <laughs> yeah. silver suit sitting there, and you feel like you you're looking at the Holy Grail. But it's you know it, it's a, a smaller facility, and it's it's kind of off the beaten path, but is the, the friendliest people, and fascinating, fascinating collection of artifacts, and it's it's one of those just find yourself in Wisconsin and and take a little time, make a make a drive out there and check it out. Absolutely, that's a great one, and I love Deke Slayton. That guy's just a just a legend. <laughs> so I've been kind of. I'm uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chris. No, go ahead, Tom. Okay. Go ahead. Um, no, I, I, I um, I've been kind of quiet because um, you know most of my museums, other than you know other than Bradley, um, most of the museums I've been to have been more decidedly on the beaten path. I know uh, Wings Over the Rockies is a fantastic museum. Museum of Flight, obviously, and and a couple of others, you know, and anytime I'm on, I'm on, uh, uh, business travel, I always try to, you know, take an hour after my, uh, or, or half a day after my meeting's over, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, find the local air museum before my flight out. But, um, my off the beaten path one is a little bit of a doozy and I definitely was extremely lucky to have been able to be there. If you ever find occasion to be on the North end of New Zealand's South Island, um, and you're in the Marlboro Sound area. Go to the Omaha oh, Aviation Heritage Center. <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, yeah the Omaha Aviation Heritage Center is one uh, probably probably the best World War One aviation museum in the world. Um, they have s- some amazing amazing exhibits uh, and also very um, v- very uh, creatively staged. They actually had Peter Jackson come in, you know, the Lord of the Rings director. And have his movie people create sets that these airplanes are on. So you don't just see a Fokker triplane. You see the Red Baron's Fokker triplane crashed with, you know, von Richthofen being pulled out of the uh, airplane by, uh, by uh, you know, allied soldiers, you know, still alive. Um, you've got uh, just, just um, the, yeah, these, this very dynamic, amazing collection. Uh, but then also some very, very impressive artifacts, too. They've got... Um, Von Richthofen, a bunch of Von Richthofen's personal effects, and Eddie Rickenbacker's flight suit. So if you're wondering where wow. all that stuff went, it's uh, it's down on the South Island of New Zealand, uh, and it's wow. also that's pretty cool. It's actually where I had my uh, my very first flight lesson too. So, um, you know, it's that's one that has been so high on my list for years and years. At my my last job pre EA, we actually worked with with uh, a couple of their subject matter experts, and they came to visit us. Um, 
talking about some stuff on some of the uh, the combat flight simulators, but somehow I never quite worked it so I could, you know, return the favor and go see them. But, you know, they do a spectacular air show. I don't remember if they, if, if it's like Wanaka where it's every other year, but I know they've got one coming up in April and they do really creative stuff. Like they've got a, um, they've got a replica V1 that's an RC model that they'd launch off a rail and fly um, wow. as part of the air show and stuff. And I think, I can't remember if it's, uh, if it's Omaka or if it's Wanaka where they have a, a P40 that's a regular visitor uh, that actually fires guns. Wow. Um, it still has operational operational guns. So, but it seems to me if you're in, uh, you know, if you get far enough, you get to New Zealand, you know, you see one. Uh, boy, check out uh, check out you know Wanaka as well. But that's uh, that's all secondhand coming from uh, from me. So I'm living vicariously through you right now, Tom. Yeah, I actually did just get. Um, <laughs> so um, we we went on a uh, what what in retrospect was an extremely well timed trip uh, just over the New Year before the virus happened. Or maybe an ill-time trip. I mean, I might still be stuck there. That wouldn't be horrible. But um, I did get to go to Wanaka this time. So if you're ever, um, you know, if, you, if you're on the South Island near Queenstown, um, to, it's also a very beautiful drive to get out there. And uh, there's the, the Wanaka Museum. And then there's, um, uh, there's, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a, it's a very unique car, toy, and air transport museum. Uh, uh. that has some airplanes, has a whole bunch of... Uh, of unique cars, you know, certainly if you're an American, you, you, you know, it's a lot of, uh, of Asian market and European market cars, as well as a bunch of American cars that were used from a, a random movie production down there. Like you're driving, you're, you're walking around there and there's like a bunch of Jeep Cherokees, you know, that are painted like a, like a, a U.S. Um, sheriff's office, uh, because they shot, it was set in the U.S., but they shot it in New Zealand for some reason. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> Monica is a really cool place, and, and even better if you can get over there during the uh, Easter weekend or so every other year. All right. Well, let's see. I'll throw out uh, I'll throw out a little package deal. Some of these, at least one of these, I think is probably big enough that a lot of people have heard of it. But I don't know if you've, if anybody's been. But when you're uh, if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, you head out to San Carlos Airport and check out the Hiller Museum, and uh, it's you know first and foremost tells a lot about the the Hiller. Uh, history of Hiller aircraft, their helicopters. So you've got uh, you've got you know one-off uh, examples of helicopters you won't see anywhere else. You've got the crazy flying platforms, but then you also have um, a lot of really fascinating artifacts about early California aviation history, and then you have things like uh, a, a substantial piece of the mock-up of Boeing's uh, planned supersonic transport uh, that you can you can crawl through. Um, and uh, and it's just beautifully done, and tons of uh, there's a lot of great interactives there and stuff. And it is a um, it is, uh, in my opinion, very much a world class uh, world class museum. And then when you're in that neighborhood, you're not really very far from three others. There's the uh, Pacific Coast Aviation Museum, which is up in I think it's Sonoma. It's a Charles Schultz Airport out there, named for the creator of peanuts, and. Uh, uh, tons of great stuff there. Some uh, they've got a rare uh, Russian transport. Now I'm, oh, I forgot to double check and remind myself which it was. It's uh, I'll, I'll have to I'll have to double check. But you can look online. Um, a lot of stuff is outside, and it's a sort of a, a simple air park kind of thing. But tons of great stuff on display. Travis Air Force Base, another one you need a little bit of permission in advance. But a, a terrific museum. A lot, the last time I was there was about 15 years ago. And I was honestly the only person there, not even an employee or a volunteer. 
was the only human in the whole complex walking in and out of the buildings and around the air park. And then the Oakland Aviation Museum there across the bay from San Francisco has a bunch of cool stuff. But one of the the most striking things to me about my trip there was they have a short Solent flying boat out front. So those of you who've been to Air Venture or you've been to Fantasy, you know, if you're Air Venture in Oshkosh in about, what, 1993? Or uh, have been before or since to Kermit Week's Fantasy of Flight. He has a short Sunderland. So the Solent is roughly equivalent to that. And uh, it's a big, big uh, four-engine fire fi- flying boat. If you've seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you've seen that that short Solent painted as a Pan Am uh, Boeing 314. It's not a, uh, it's not a terrible stand-in, but it's really cool to pull up the museum and there's this giant flying boat parked out front. So a, a little cluster of them there near San Francisco, worth seeing. Wow, that's awesome. Um. I guess it's, uh, I think one of the ones I'd like to bring up, uh, just be, A, it's a cool place, but B, one of the restorations they're doing is really neat, is the Mid-Atlantic Air Museum oh, out in yes. uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, they have a beautiful, their B-25 is worth drooling over. It's briefing time. It's gorgeous. Uh, a lot of other really, really cool World War II aircraft. Uh, but the, the 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 really amazing restoration they're doing is a P-61 Black Widow. Uh, World War II twin-engine, twin-boom night fighter. Um, and this is one that the airplane that they have was a combat vet. It crashed uh, during the war on a mountain. And, like, piece by piece, they took it down off the mountain, brought it back to Pennsylvania, and have been doing a restoration for a few decades. And uh, it's getting close. I mean, it's on its gear. It's It looks like a P-61. I mean, it. Uh, uh, I, I think they're within a couple years of maybe flying it, but... Man, I cannot wait to see that. I, I, I was truly stoked to hear uh, uh, Mr. Strine, uh, the director and owner, say that you know plans are to bring it to Oshkosh when it's ready to fly. Yeah. I cannot wait to see that thing sitting out there. I mean, to me, that's that's right up there with Twin Mustang uh, in terms of oh yeah, uh, and yeah. you know a, a quote unquote a partially extinct type that we wouldn't necessarily know for sure would ever would ever fly. And yeah, I've been following that one for a for a long time too, and it's a. It, they're on a long, long road, but but they they have been at it for quite a while, and and uh, it, they're doing great work so far. That's one of those ones when it actually does fly yeah, an air venture in the show. I'll have uh, I'll have marked on my calendar a uh, an FAA meeting. This might might just so happen to be on the flight line. Right, exactly. <laughs> and whoever you're supposed to meet with might you know coincidentally not show up. But uh, <laughs> you know, people's schedules during air venture are hectic. They're fluid. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. This one's not so much off the beaten path, but maybe just it's 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 not necessarily an air museum per se, but Spaceport Houston um, is is really not to be missed. Uh, that's um, uh, basically the museum that's associated with uh, Mission Control in Houston. Um, if you can do the guided tour that gets you into the old um, Apollo era control room, um, that was you know for. Uh, that that's that's pretty close to a religious experience for any uh, uh, <laughs> any any space fan. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Yeah. And that's you know that's one I've never been. I've been to to, uh, to some of the stuff in Florida, but never uh, never to Houston. Some so, of the unique things that they have at Houston off. is they have um, they have a mock up of Skylab that's on its side. So the one at the uh, at the Smithsonian actually is a real Skylab. They built two. Um, so the one at the Air and Space Museum is, 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 is mounted vertically. This one's mounted horizontally, so you can kind of walk through it. Um, 
in a little bit different perspective. And I thought that that was really cool, the way that they had that. Um, and then, of course, they, they have one of, I think they have the most complete Saturn V with original hardware is the one at Houston. Wow. So The, um, you know, another one of the ones on my list, and I, I just feel like we're trying to check off a laundry list here, but it's, there's so much to talk about. <laughs> I can already smell a part two coming. Um, a, uh, a big and prominent museum, but uh, not necessarily one that's, uh, that's easy to get to uh, for a lot of people that are listening, uh, is in Munich, Germany. And that's the, uh, let's see if I get this right. It's the Deutsches Museum von Meisterwerken der Naturwissenschaft und Technik. <sighs> there. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, of course, <laughs> I know it well. Um, otherwise, it's sort of known as the Deutsches uh, German Technical Museum. Um, so you've got that in downtown Munich, and then it's it's sort of like the Smithsonian where you have the Air and Space Museum, and then out at the airport you've got Udvarhazy. Um, their version of Udvarhazy is an airport called Uberschleisheim. And between the two of them, the downtown museum is has an aviation section, but has other sections as well. So uh, they've got a, f- a full-size cut-open U-boat to look at and a bunch of other German naval stuff, which is really interesting if you like that part of history. Um, but as far as aviation, they've got... You know, they've got original Messerschmitts, you know, 163, a 262. Uh, there's a JU-88. There's a, one of the most chilling things I've ever seen in any museum is a, a V-2 rocket that's on display. And there's a spiral staircase that just goes up and around it. And that's how you get up and down to, uh, to the various levels. And there is something about, it's one thing to see pictures and see how enormous those things were and how terrifying that must have been to be in London uh, or anywhere in, on, in Southeast England when they were lobbing those things over the channel. But to not only get up to it, be able to, to climb its entire height in this, uh, in this staircase is absolutely, I mean, it's frankly, it's chilling. But anyway, that's downtown. Then out at their annex at Uberschleisheim, they've got uh, amazing uh, Dornier uh, VTOL jets, the largest VTOL ever flown. They've got this beautiful... Um, semi-unrestored Fokker D7. Um, there's also a glider there that, uh, on my visit, it really blew my mind because it uh, um, flew, I was double-checking my notes, it flew in 1907 and was built by a guy named Wolf Mueller. And it, it's a biplane glider, but it's got uh, a traditional sort of horizontal and vertical stabilizer at the back. It looks, it's a very modern configuration for for 1907, and of course the Wrights were flying by 03, but remember, before 1908, a lot of people around the world didn't know much about what the Wrights were up to. They hadn't been that public yet, and they wouldn't necessarily have seen designs. But the thing that strikes me about this is that it has, um, as I wrote about at the time, is my favorite part about this aircraft was the bag of rocks. And what he's got is uh, there's, there's a, a bag of rocks, and then there's uh, a a pole that's eventually, essentially, sort of uh, would be the nose of the airplane, the front of the, or the, the glider, the front of the fuselage, and then there's marks on that pole. There's little notches for different weights and uh, wind conditions, and it's a trim system. And it, I think, it has oh, to be wow. the first sort of like consciously constructed trim system. I think in aviation history, <laughs> maybe. Um, I mean, certainly the rights were concerned with things like balance and stuff like that, but this is, this is, uh, it's, it's quite scientific. So it's saying, okay, well, if I'm going to fly and the wind is this, and I know my way to set, I put the bag of rocks on notch three or whatever it is. Um, so that one, that obviously made an impression on me. 
Um, also at the uh, the downtown museum, they have the nose section from the uh, LZ-127, the Graf Zeppelin. And until I walked in and looked up at it, I, I had thought for sure that there was nothing left of any of the great German, German Zeppelins. I was blown away by that. Wow, that is awesome. I, um... I'm trying to. God, there's so many. <laughs> there's. Uh, I know it's there, so it's tough. I know, I know. Uh, I I've, I and I, I I have one. that's an oddball one. It was really cool. Um, it's not huge. It's certainly not well known, but it's the Museum of Flight and Aerial Firefighting, and it's out in Grable, Wyoming. Oh wow! And it's really neat. Like, and it's really. It's it's almost spooky. And what I mean by that is they have about maybe uh, six or eight aircraft, and they're just sitting along a highway in Wyoming, uh, out in the middle, uh, on the end of the Grey Bull Airport, and um, just the territory, especially the, the, you know, we were there sort of toward the end of the day, um, and it's very, um, there's a couple of them you can go in, there's a PB4Y2 privateer. Uh, there's a couple C-119, some Neptunes. These are all aircraft that fought forest fires. And um, it's really interesting because you're walking around them and you can you just go right up to them. You can go inside a few of them. And then behind them is just this field full of ex-fire bombers just sort of out to pasture. And, uh, and then every once in a while, one takes off and is flying around you or something. And there's, you know, a C-130 going out to fight a forest fire or something. And... Uh, Really, really neat museum, but you know it's highly dedicated uh, to uh, those who uh, who serve and who lost their lives fighting forest fires. Um, when you go inside, there's tons of stuff on the filming of the movie always because these guys provided the aircraft and the equipment and things for that movie. So uh, I'm kind of a geek about that movie, and so I was really excited to uh, to see that. So, um, but it's a really neat place. If you get a chance, you're out near Grey Bull. It's definitely uh, uh, worth a chance to go out and take a look and you know see what some of these World War II airplanes did post-war a lot of times in a, in a way to, to to survive. Yeah, and that's a that's a part of aviation that uh, you know doesn't always get uh, a lot of attention. In my opinion, doesn't always get the attention it uh, it deserves. You know, we certainly did some things to celebrate aerial firefighting uh, a couple of years ago at AirVenture, and that was uh, that was a lot of fun. But boy, um, there's uh, hardworking people and hardworking airplanes out there, so it's terrific to hear that there's. Uh, a place in Wyoming. It seems to me there's a place in Idaho that's also uh, have some artifacts and, and commemorates both firefighting and the smoke jumping as well. Oh, that's awesome. Let me ask you guys this as we're kind of wrapping up here. Um, you know, Chris, you mentioned a, a museum that's that's um, mostly mostly more outside. Um, are there any are there any air parks? Um, air park, as in you know, a park with planes in it. Uh, that um, that you're particularly fond of, you know, maybe not so much a full blown museum, but just an outdoor display. Well, oh, that's, oh, that's a that's a good that's good a question. question. I mean, <laughs> um, I think, you know, Carswell is kind of an air park. Um, yeah. Let's see, what else is out there? Um, oh, I, I tell you what, one that you don't get—it's one of those deals that you've got to get the prior arrangement. But uh, Herbert Field. Um, has some of the most beautiful preserved examples of, of air park aircraft I've ever seen. They're all gunships, um, and you have to have prior arrangement to get in there, but that's a really neat place. Oh, that's very cool. The um, 
uh, I think this this counts. This is if I, last time I was there, anyway, most of their stuff was outside. I think there was a small building. The Burbank Aviation Museum is uh, is another one out in California, oh. and you know Burbank, the home of uh, home of Lockheed. Um, and I will I will apologize. It's been quite a while since I was there, so it may well be the no. We have a brand new indoor state of the art facility and <laughs> and stuff. So I I will apologize for that. But um, you know, a great thing to uh, a great place to sort of. Uh, check out a, a bunch of great classic Lockheed designs outside. And in a, in a similar vein, one of the things I promised myself I would mention quickly is uh, there's a book out there. Um, this guy named Michael, I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. I don't know if it's Blauer or Bloffer, but uh, he's on his 28th edition. Now, we used to carry it in our museum gift shop. I don't think we have it in stock currently. Um, otherwise, it's out there online. And it's called The Guide to Aircraft Museums uh, in the USA and Canada. And the, one of the things I love about this book, when he first published it, it was something like a guide to over 900 aviation museums in the U.S. and Canada. So what? How is that even possible? But I swear, if there is an airplane on a pole, if there is a gate guard, if there is you know a museum that has an airplane in it, he has listed it. It is absolutely exhaustive. And it was always... Uh, it's always a, a great time if you're making or doing a road trip somewhere. Grab a copy of this book and see if you're going to pass any of these things because you know you'll never know what you're going to find. And like I said, it could be a an F-86 on a pole outside of a VFW hall, which I always love finding things like that. It could be a, a oh, great yeah. museum you've never never heard of. Some of these more off the beaten path ones. So um, definitely uh, definitely a book worth worth checking out. It was a couple of years ago. He was on his 28th printing. So clearly uh, he's uh, he is passionate and uh, and devoted to the cause. Yeah, I was going to just um, yeah, two of those kind of off the beaten path um, air parks. I was just going to mention was one is the one that we have here in Wisconsin at Volk Field. Um, if you're ever passing between uh, Chicago and the Twin Cities, um, you'll pass by it. And uh, it, it one thing that's really cool that's in there is they have a um, a TF one hundred two. That's a two seat one hundred two that was um, oddly for a fighter a side by side for the two-seat version. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. And then the other one that, that just, um, I, I just kind of remembered off the top of my head, and it, I remember it um, really impressing me, was the little air park they have just outside the gate at Grand Forks Air Force Base up in North Dakota. Um, if you happen to be a student at UND um, or up there for any reason, um, you know, go over, to the, um, go over to the base and take a look at that little air park there. They've got, um, you know, certainly being an old SAC base, they've got a, um, a C-135 and a, B-52, but they also have a B-25 and a B-26 uh, out there in the air park, which is pretty neat. Oh, that's very cool. You know, uh, I'll tell you, the one thing we talked about when you talk about like those aircraft on poles, um, it, it's something that uh, I did a, a little bit of before I came to work here at EAA, just in a volunteer uh, aspect, but, you know, a lot of times... You know, we all know of an airplane sitting on a pole that is in probably rough shape or could use some paint or something like that. And it's really interesting when you go look at it, um, a lot of times those airplanes are there for a reason. You know, there was a famous pilot or somebody who did something historic in an F-86, and this is his hometown, and they've put that airplane, you know, there as a memorial. You know, so we would we would always try to try to get people excited about it, maybe come out and help clean it up or paint it. Uh, give it a little bit of attention or love and uh, and in the process learn about you know maybe a hometown hero or somebody that uh, you know did something pretty cool or, or th- a lot of times there's just a historic reason why that airplane was placed there that's a great point Chris and you know in uh, sport aviation a recent issue one of our columnists Lauren Payne who flew uh, uh, flew the uh, 
Mohawk uh, in his uh, his time in the service talked about uh, one of those that was on a pole, and it was some uh, it was guys from his squadron who had um, gotten a big work party together to uh, to get one restored and put up and everything else. And you know, I think when I was uh, when I was younger, sometimes you look at an airplane on a pole and you get a little oh, harumph harumph that should be down and flying. But you know, it's so often that airplane may may only be a shell it may not have a power plant it may be really really missing parts and it's you know you get excited when you see something like that and uh you know those things are worth uh they're worth preserving and they're worth displaying and it's um i'm i'm at a point now where i'm always stoked to go find uh, find another one and then as you said hopefully understand a bit of the history behind it is it you know is it is there a particular local connection um I know we are getting very close to a hard stop. There's a couple, uh, and I think I'm just going to do these quickly, that I will never forgive myself if I don't mention. Uh, first, the uh, uh, the Beach Beechcraft Heritage Museum in Tullahoma in Tennessee. Um, oh, yeah. It is a spectacularly beautiful airport. It's a wonderful setting. The nicest people on the, this entire planet. Um, and things like the very first Staggerwing, uh, an original... Uh, uh, travel air mystery ship, um, some other, you know, some other great beach history and, you know, uh, weird early twin bonanza prototypes. And, um, it's, uh, it's worth a stop. If you can fly in so much, the better you fly in on the beautiful grass runway and they'll, they'll take great care of you. And they have a terrific fly in there every year. That's, uh, that's worth going to as well. Even if, uh, even if you only have a passing interest in beach aircraft from the travel air days all the way up through the starship and and beyond um you'll uh you'll fall in love with the place and then of of course uh, another one that you've got to mention which is uh a delightful museum that has it's probably the most sort of it has the most personality infused to it of just about any museum i can imagine except maybe portions of our own like with our founders wing and things but that's what's known as the air power museum at blakesburg and the the Taylor family, uh, you know, has the uh, has the airport there, the, the, the beautiful two runway grass strip. They have the the most magical antique and vintage fly in there every year, and they have a terrific museum of uh, family artifacts. And there's, you know, picture after picture and and bits of uniforms and models and full size airplanes and things. And you could you could go uh, uh, just absolutely crazy trying to work your way through it and see everything. The bad thing about this episode is uh, I now have a list of places I want to go. Right, exactly. <laughs> so. and, you know, welcome to the waning days uh, here is hoping of quarantine, though. So we start thinking <laughs> about doing this stuff again. Yeah, this um, isn't like uh, the movies, you know, where I could just uh, you know, go on Netflix or Amazon and, uh, and and watch. I mean, I have to get in my car and go somewhere. Right. Sometimes go to an airport yeah. and go fly somewhere and go go do <laughs> X, Y, and Z. Hey, speaking of, of uh, airports, how's that for a segue? Um <laughs> Uh, I've always been a fan, although I haven't been since they've been moving stuff around and, and some of that movement worked in our favor, but I have always had a real soft spot for the Mitchell gallery of flight at the Milwaukee airport. Oh yeah. Um, I think that's yeah. a very, uh, credible and impressive. It's a smaller facility, smaller museum. Um, but they have, uh, some terrific artifacts there as, as do the, uh, does the, uh, airline museum at the San Francisco airport. But, you know, the Mitchell Gallery moving some stuff around recently um, as they, I think, renovate and maybe even change their location at the airport, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. They had a, uh, 
uh, a model, uh, Chris, you can talk about it, the model of the, uh, the Graf Zeppelin, um, which I was mentioning earlier, that was actually built by somebody who's a docent of ours now, John, uh, is it John Melbach? Yeah, John, yeah, John Melberg, uh, Excuse me. Uh, he built this thing, I think it's one, oh gosh, it's like one thirty-second scale or something like that, I mean, it's a large scale uh, uh, Graf Zeppelin, and it's, it's the thing is gorgeous, and um, he, uh, he took it from plans originally made to be, uh, it was supposed to be a radio controlled uh, job that you can actually fly, and then he just went super nuts detailing it, I mean, so it's just crazy detailed, um, and it hung there for years. They uh, changing things around. Uh, you know, they they put it. Uh, they they gave it to us. Uh, uh, it just sort of. They they were trying to focus more on like some of the more Milwaukee history there, uh, and we of course uh, knew right where we wanted to put it. So it's going to be there, uh, in our museum. And uh, uh, one of the neat things is it's so big that it came in in a 26 foot box truck. And they offloaded it, and one of our uh, folks who works over at our weeks hangar, our maintenance hangar, uh, Balkan, came over to see it. And Balkan grew up in Germany and had actually been in this actual airframe. Oh my gosh! Uh, and was telling us about walking up and got to go inside the real deal. So it was kind of neat to just to hear him talking about that. Oh, that's incredible! And that that model is huge, and it is gorgeous. I can't wait to see that. Uh, fixed up and on display uh, on display in our museum, and I, that was always a treat for me going through Milwaukee was getting to see that that model. And now, you know, embarrassment of riches, it'll just be, uh, <laughs> be just uh, down the hall. Um, we need a one thirty second scale rocketeer. Oh, now. there you go to fly along with the Zeppelin. <laughs> and of course, yeah. at Milwaukee, speaking of uh, sort of gate guards and airplanes on poles, the B twenty five Mitchell down there that uh, um, originally uh, you, maybe you remember better than I do, Chris. Um, EAA had a hand in restoring, or Paul uh, Pobreski yeah. himself was specifically involved with sort of restoring and getting that airplane uh, erected there. Yeah, Paul actually uh, um, basically you know, bent the ear enough of folks who said, look, this airport's named after uh, General Mitchell, and, and there's an airplane named after him. Those aircraft are available. We should go after one. Um, and the story that I heard, uh, this, is a, this is a story that I read in notes directly from Paul, was that he went down to a boneyard where the B-25s were, and they basically told him to just grab anyone that he wanted. <laughs> and uh, Paul being Paul, he grabbed the lowest time one he could find and flew it uh, to uh, to the airport, and put it. They, that's where they put it up on a stand. So that's a, a very low-time <laughs> B-25 down there. Um, so and, uh, and also, there's an F-4 Phantom down there now, too. Uh, there's a Medal of Honor recipient who was from uh, Wisconsin, uh, Cy John, and uh, and they just moved that F4. It's it's not far from the B25. You can see it now from the road. Uh, that's what? that's terrific. And what you know, who among us has not just sort of walked up to the Air Force boneyard and been offered our pick of medium <laughs> bombers, right? <laughs> and, and one thing right. I just want to say real quick about that B25 that I think is really neat is it's it's a radar nose post-war um, B25. Yeah. They used them for yeah. radar training, so. It's in a configuration and a paint job that uh, you almost never see a B twenty five in, so it's also really interesting. And it was uh, it was damaged during a recent uh, a big heavy snowstorm too. I think one of the uh, the wings had actually broken under the weight of snow, but they got that restored and back up uh, very quickly, which was neat to see. Yeah. So well, we are 
Boy, we've gone long and uh, we're past the hard stop we'd all set for ourselves, or at least I had tried <laughs> tried to set for myself, but that's okay. Um, but I can't believe we made it through this entire episode and I'm, I'm looking at my notes and I've got the Imperial War Museum at Duxford and the American Air Museum there staring me in the face. So we'll talk about those next time because those are, those are absolute must-sees, even if it means a special trip to, uh, to the UK. Um, which I was I was very very lucky to do about uh, oh geez 15 years ago now, so uh, with that uh, boy thanks as always everybody out there listening uh, thank you for uh, for being polite when you comment on this when you see it go up on uh, inspire.ea.org uh, the website home for the green dot um, being kind and and gentle when you point out the ones that we forgot or didn't get to. Um, we know there's going to be a lot of them out there and we mean no disrespect and no offense. It's just, we get talking and there's only so many minutes, uh, minutes in an episode. Special thanks go out to John master 13, who left us a great review just a couple of weeks ago on iTunes. That means the world to us. And you know, when I look around, um, for, uh, for our humble little show, uh, I look at reviews of uh, and ratings of a lot of the aviation podcasts out there. And, you know, so far, knock on wood, we have a perfect five-star record and as many, if not more, ratings than just about anybody out there. And that is um, that is the only reason we're able to keep doing this, as I have said before, is the fact that uh, we get great responses. So comment on the, the posts when you see them at inspired.ea.org. Leave those reviews on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcasts. Send us a note at feedback at ea.org. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you've got some ideas for future episodes, uh, please keep those coming. And with that, we'll wrap this one up and we'll catch up with you next time when you're cleared to land on the green dot.